Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So we're going to start Galatians. Galatians is my probably third favorite book, letter, in the New Testament. Just, you know, if anybody's keeping track. (laughs) Uh, And this is the reason why I like it, because Paul is so incredibly pointed in this letter. He is not playing around. He is dead serious about what he's saying. It's, uh, he doesn't pull any punch. Not that Paul's normally pulls any punches, but certainly in this letter, he brings it straight hard and to the point very quickly. And so I'm going to do the same. Uh, I'm going to try to cover this. I have it right now planned over 12 weeks, so I'm not going to exhaust the text, uh, where certainly I could, I think. Um, I'm going to do two chapters or a chapter every two weeks. And today we're going to do Galatians chapter 1 through 10 to talk about Paul on fire. Paul explains why he was on fire and demonstrates the fire that he has on his life uh, in these verses. But before I get started, let me tell you, this is Paul's Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Let me explain to you what I mean. So in 1215, Englanders, people in England, wrote a letter to King John, it was King John in 1215, um, condemning taxation and the oppression that they felt by, by their, their king. And they wanted freedom from that oppression. Later on, our founding fathers used that Magna Carta document as the foundation from which we established our independence or attempted to begin to establish our independence from oppression. And so when I say this is Paul's Magna Carta of liberty, this is Paul's address to the Galatian church saying, they are, you are no longer under oppression. You are no longer under obligation to the law. All of that was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And so this whole thing is to defend the gospel, to say there is no other gospel. The biggest problem in any church, at any time, in any generation, is that we have consistently tried to add to or take away from the purity of the gospel. How many of you guys like checklists? Like you're all, man, if I could do one, two, three, and four, I know I'll go to heaven. I do. I like checklists. I want to know that I know that I know that I know. But can I tell you, the spirit inside of you bears witness to the fact that you're going to heaven because the spirit of God reveals such things to you. But we still generationally prefer lists. We place ourselves in bondage over and over again. If I just can read my Bible 30 minutes a day, man, God will be happy with me. If I can just pray for 30 minutes a day, God would be happy with me. If I just gave 10% of my finance, God would be happy with me. Let me tell you, you could take all that off the table, replace it with grace, and you're more likely to get to heaven than you did with all that stuff. Amen? Because Jesus delivered us from the oppression of the law. And this is what Paul's saying the whole time um, in different ways throughout the letter to Galatians. This is a defense of his ministry. And so essentially what happened is people came into the church 
called Judaizers, which I'm not going to get into all of that, just saying that things needed to be added to the purity of the gospel. And so Paul's writing this letter to tell them, that's not true. Let me defend my ministry to you. And they were bad-mouthing Paul because Paul was saying, you don't have to do those lists. And so they were saying, he's just trying to make it easy on you so you feel better. But these are the things that you're required by law to do. When in fact, we're not required to do any of those things. Grace is easy for us. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Let's not get these two things mixed up. But grace is easy for us. The Bible says if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be what? We shall be saved. That's as long as we confess with our mouth from a belief that His work is done and complete, then we're saved. Amen? All these other disciplines are good disciplines. But at the end of the day, if you whittled it all down, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And now everybody in the room should say, Amen. Let me give you this list of junk I've been carrying around. Let me give you what Paul calls this yoke of slavery. When in fact God died, sent his son Jesus, God incarnate, to us to save us so that we wouldn't be bound up by our checklist or by someone else's checklist. Because I don't know what's worse. My personal checklist or the checklist you've made for me. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Look, man, you can't come up in here being drunk, or you can't come in here unless you've got a suit on, or you can't come in here unless you look like I look, or act like I look, or live in the part of town I I live in. Let me tell you, that all flies in the face of the gospel. If you don't like everyone based on who they are in Christ Jesus, if you can't be in unity with them, regardless of where they come from, who they are, what they look like, you don't understand the gospel, and you're going to hate heaven. So, This is what Paul's saying. Throw your checklist away. He's writing his Magna Carta. And he writes his thesis for Galatians in 5.1. Essentially, if you had to tear it all down to say, what is he primarily saying? In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So I'm going to plead with you. Listen to the teaching. Listen to the Word of God. Allow God, through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to comfort you, to let you know that you're free of the obligatory nonsense that everybody else wants to put on you, that Christ died to remove you from that that yoke of slavery. Amen? And so this is his defense. And he does it, just kind of give you a general outline, he does it in three ways. When I say he defends his ministry, I literally mean the gospel because his ministry was the gospel. And he does it in three ways. A personal, he does it from his personal perspective, which is chapters 1 and 2, which is his experience. This is why I know this to be true. He does it from a doctrinal position in chapters 3 and 4. And then because doctrine without practice doesn't mean anything. We, we do have a responsibility to the work of Christ, although we're not obligated to work. Does everybody understand the difference between the two? 
because there is a responsibility to work. In chapter 5 and 6, he talks about the practical defense of the gospel. The fact of the matter is, I am saved, and so I should want to love people like Jesus loved people. If I've got the Spirit in me, that Spirit should ooze out in places, right? So that's what he's doing, and that's what we're going to talk about starting today. And so I'm going to read, because we're covering 1 through 10, to talk about Paul on fire. Let me read this text. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he may rescue us from the presence of the evil age according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, isn't that profound? It doesn't matter who tells you. Even an angel from heaven tells you a different gospel, should preach to you a gospel gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. He is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant to Christ. Amen. So I want to talk about Paul on fire and what his on fire looked like. First, I've got four points I'm going to make. I'm going to make them relatively quickly because they're, well, relatives according to my teaching style. So we'll see how it goes. But the first one is Paul's fire was ordained. Paul's fire was ordained. He says, I'm an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's saying, listen, I came commissioned by God to declare the truth to you. No man gave me the humming of humming. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, now you're righteous. You go do your thing. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't attend next steps. He didn't attend a discipleship course, as we understand discipleship courses. God, he had a theophany moment where he was presented with the person of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, knocked off his horse, and God revealed himself to him. In 2 Corinthians, it says again that he's brought into the third heaven, which we're going to talk about some of that next week and revealed himself to him, showed him who God really was, explained to him that you're persecuting the God that you're saying you're trying to protect. He was ordained by God. This is important because God gave him the authority to say what he's saying. You're all, well, Paul just says that. Anybody can say that. Well, not anybody's listed in the Scripture, which is holy and inerrant, is saying that they were ordained by God to do a thing. The Word of God, so that you know, is inerrant, infallible. It's without error in any kind, way, form, or fashion. 
If Paul says, I've been ordained by God, the Scripture itself evidences so many truths in it that we can count on the fact that this is absolutely true, that God Himself came down, revealed Himself to Paul, and ordained him, which means to officially endow him with ministerial authority. He was sent to teach the gospel by God through Christ Jesus. And for that reason, because he was so convinced of that truth, he was unashamed of the gospel. You know, I, I like confident people. Confident people do things people with lack of confidence don't do. I didn't have the confidence when I first started ministry. And I'm not talking about this kind of ministry. I'm talking about ministry at all. Parking lots ministries where I started. I didn't have the confidence to talk to you like I'm talking to you today. But as my confidence in Christ Jesus grew, my confidence in, my, in what God called me to do increased, and I became bold. Paul is being bold because he knows who he belongs to. He knows where he came from. He knows who called him into ministry, who empowered him with that ministry. And so he wasn't scared of it. He said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Because as much as Paul is ordained to deliver the gospel to us through the word of God and to the Galatian churches and the different churches at that time, you have been ordained with the ministry of reconciliation according to the word of God. You're equally responsible to tell the gospel, pure and unadulterated as Paul ever was. I want you to think about that because we don't. Some of us, it's a lack of confidence. We don't know what we should say, how we should say, when we should say, and all of that. And we're going to cover that next week. Because I want us not to be a, this is going to sound, let hear me out. I don't want us to be an evangelical congregation inside of this house. This is not our primary responsibility. The church doesn't exist to evangelize. The church house exists to equip people to go and evangelize. Amen? And so if we're not accomplishing that goal, then we're not accomplishing the goal, which is to glorify Christ with our life. And when we realize that we've been ordained, just as Paul has been ordained to the ministry of reconciliation, then we gain the boldness and the ability to go forward and tell that truth, knowing that the Spirit of God teaches us all things and will bring to our remembrance that which we need to know when we need to know it. That's so good. Amen. I don't want a church, and I, this isn't any surprise to you, most of you, I don't want a church that sits here on your hands. I was telling my wife the other day, I'm sure that my approach to ministry has slowed our growth. Because I've consistently said, if you come here to sit on your hands, go sit on your hands somewhere else. That's not what God created the church to be. And some people don't like that. They want to sit on their hands. And that's fine. Just go sit on your hands somewhere else. But as long as you're here, I'm answerable for you. Amen? Everybody all right? A couple of y'all look at me crazy. Most of y'all look at me crazy anyway. They said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
And so recognizing he was ordained to deliver a message, in verses 1 through 5, he delivers that message. Grace to you, starting in verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sin, so that he might rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So what's he say? He said, listen, I've been ordained by God to deliver a message to you. So before I get started, let me tell you what that message is. That salvation is from God. And there's only one of him. There's not multiple roads that lead to heaven. Well, let me take that back. All roads lead to heaven. Only the road through Christ Jesus allows you to stay there. Because it says that all knee will, every knee will bow. Every knee will face judgment. But it's our desire that you get to stay there. And that salvation is from God, according to Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, which means unmerited favor, we didn't deserve that. We didn't have it coming. Matter of fact, we had the opposite coming. But by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, which means throw your checklist away. It is a gift from God. God, for reasons I don't understand, decided to give us grace. Decided to pull us out of the death that we deserve and pay our debt for us. We deserve death. I know you guys, you're all, Pastor Jim, we've heard this story before. Let me tell you, this is the only story I got. Romans 10 and 11. None of you are righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have a problem that we can't solve. We are sinful both by birth and by nature or by action. We deserve to go to hell. Just the truth. But Jesus came so we wouldn't have to face judgment. Hey, hallelujah indeed. So we had a problem that we can't solve. And so God, through Christ Jesus, saved us. He paid that debt that I was talking about a moment ago. That debt that we owed. That debt of death. For to sin is death. In Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. The thing that you're owed, when I get my wages, it's something that I'm owed. Right? So the thing that you're owed is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he paid this debt to atone for our sins, to buy us back, to redeem us from the enemy so that we could forever move out of the... the uh, kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light to be sons of the sons and daughters of the most high God and he did it because he wanted to because his mercy and his compassion the very nature of who he is demands it of him that's good if there was ever a reason to throw your checklist away that's it recognize that you didn't do it you can't do it Christ did it because God sent him to do it, because God, in his mercy, couldn't do anything else but act in compassion towards you. Hmm. 
Not only was Paul's fire ordained, it was passionate. 6 and 7 says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Could you, can you hear Paul's voice here? I like the fact that there's, there's, there's some exclamation points here. Paul's serious. He's all, are you, are you, he's like a, a parent talking to an in, a, a, a child not doing the right thing. He's all, are you serious right now? You've been blessed to this degree, and this is what you do? I'm amazed at you. And he's not amazed in a good way. He's not all, oh, that's amazing. Like I got my little grandson here. He's, he's running around here someplace. And when he does something, he gets up and walks or tries to walk or whatever. I'm all, oh, that's amazing. That's not what Paul's talking about. He goes, you, you're disgusting. I'm amazed that you have determined to set the only God aside that determined to love you and listen to this distorted gospel. And we do. Every time we pick up our checklist, we do. We say, that's not enough. His holiness, all the stuff that He is that we talked about in the last sermon series, His holiness, His majesty, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness, His overwhelming greatness, we decide to set all that aside and say, you know what, instead I'm going to do this. I'm not going to take the fact that He loved me enough while I was still a sinner to send Jesus to me. That, that love doesn't mean anything to me. Or at least I don't understand it enough to trust and rest in it. And so I'm going to do my own thing to ensure my own security when in fact what you're doing, according to Paul, is you're distorting the gospel, which disqualifies you from the gospel. Paul's trying to tell them, listen, you're not acting right. Start acting right. I'm screaming to you today because I want us to act right. And the only way to act right is to submit to the truth of the gospel. I've got in my notes... And I hand wrote it, and I put it on Facebook a little while ago, that this whole letter, but this place specifically, is a punch in the mouth to the you-can't-judge-me crowd. Those people say, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's not true. First off, if that were true, that should scare you enough you wouldn't say something stupid like that. But we are called to judge one another. When The second you tell me you're a Christian... I'm under obligation to judge your fruit and hold you accountable to your confession. Do I judge an unbeliever? No, I tell an unbeliever the truth and let the Spirit deal with him. But once he says, I believe, we're called to judge. And this is what Paul's doing. He's judging their fruit and saying, I'm amazed with your lack of fruit. I'm amazed that you have taken what God has given you and set it aside. He is so vehemently passionate about this and we all do it we all determine to set the holy God the the merciful God the compassionate God the great God all of that aside every time we go and say something like well if I just did more of this if I just did more of that instead of stopping every time you get that urge to feel that hole in you 
with works, to stop and ask the Spirit of God to fill you up, to overflow. Sometimes that means you got to take a step back and go, hmm, you know what? I moved too far into this space. God, forgive me. I've added stuff to, to your gospel, and I didn't mean to. I don't even know how I ended up here. I'm sure the Galatian church, when they're slapped in the mouth like I was talking about, they were all, what are we doing? I believe they accepted that truth because God ordained him to tell the truth. And because God ordained him to tell the truth, you know somebody believed it or he'd have had somebody else tell him the truth. Anyway, I'm getting a little off, but grace is too beautiful to distort. Grace is the perfect reaching out to the imperfect and saying, it's okay, I love you anyway. And I need that in my life. Because I'm, I'm the pastor, but I am. I feel like I'm the chief of sinners in this place. All of us, quite honestly, should feel that because we know ourselves better than we know anyone else. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize how much we need Him. So I praise God that in my imperfection, the perfection through grace decided to reach out to me. And it creates a passion in me to pull she in. As I hope it creates a passion for you. The way it created a passion in Paul. And in his passion, Paul was prosecutorial. Paul's fire was prosecutorial, which means he was willing to prosecute them where they stood, the people that were misleading them. He says this in 8 through 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. You know what accursed means? It means set aside for destruction. That individual should be set aside for destruction. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is being accursed. He's charging them. What's the difference between verse 8 and verse 9? Once you look at your Bible, what's the difference between verse 8 and verse 9? The answer is nothing. He says one thing, and then he repeats himself, I say again, and then he says what he said in verse 8. You know why? Because he wants to make sure they understand that they're... They're opening themselves for prosecution, for judgment. That the divine God will accurse them, will cause them to be um, to, to face destruction. And we need to realize that. If we distort the gospel, as we allow other people to distort the gospel around us, as we submit and listen to false teaching, as we are willing to even abide the false teacher, we place ourselves in a position of destruction. Paul's, or not Paul, Peter, I think. I, I can't remember right now. Says that we shouldn't, even, we shouldn't even eat with them, the false teacher. Once somebody's determined to malign the gospel, add something to it, or take away something for the sake of their own gain, which is the only reason they would do it, we shouldn't even allow them in the church. You shouldn't fellowship with them. They're all, oh, how are they going to hear about Jesus? I don't know. Maybe you live your life in such a way outside of this church that they see Jesus and want what you have. 
but we aren't supposed to fellowship with them because it's a dangerous thing to distort the gospel. It removes you from the, it. It maligns the sacrifice of Jesus, what He did for us, everything He sacrificed for us, the eternal nature of what He's accomplished on our behalf is distorted when somebody determines to tell us something else or add something to the beauty of grace. And we shouldn't allow it in our life, which means we have to constantly be willing to say, no, no, stop that. I'm not listening to that. I'm not hearing that. People go, man, Pastor Jim, you need to listen to such and such preacher. And I'll go listen to such and such preacher, and I'm all, what? And i got to call him and say, stop listening to that guy. There's only two or three people I listen to preach. Just so you guys know, there's, I had a buddy, a guy tell me, he was not really a buddy, he told me, he said, I listen to like six or eight different preachers. He named them all off, and I, I wouldn't listen to that guy, I wouldn't listen to that guy, I wouldn't listen to that guy. There's three pastors that I listen to, and that's because I trust their ministry. I know from where their spring comes. And if you don't know who they are, you shouldn't be listening to them. Well, that sounds right. Well, let me tell you, the enemy spent a lot of time in heaven. And he, I'm sure he can make something sound really, really, almost imperceptibly truthful. But the gospel, pure and defiled, will expose it. Pure and undefiled will expose it. And we're responsible for that. Where he's prosecutorial, we too should be prosecutorial. And so I tell you all of that. One, not to tell you go out judging folks, although... If they call themselves a Christian, we've already covered that. I tell you that because I want you to filter through your own life what you're listening to. If it doesn't start with you didn't deserve it and end with God sent Christ Jesus so that you could, then there's more or less than there should be. Most people, when they tell the gospel, won't tell you that you're sinful. They don't confront sin. They just tell you that Jesus came to extend you grace. That's a false gospel because you don't need a gospel if you don't know why you need a gospel. Right? All right. So anyway, I'm, I'm pretty excited today. <laughs> I didn't get to teach the last two weeks on Wednesday night, so y'all getting the, the brunt of my frustration over that. <laughs> but I want us to wake up because Christ saved us. Paul wanted them to know Christ saved us. Wake up, church. You know, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. And finally, Paul's fire was for God's glory. Verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? That's a rhetorical question. I think by this point, we see that that's a rhetorical question. That's not a question that needs to be answered. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. He said, I do what I do, man, for God's glory, because I'm trying to please God. Because I know, Paul knew, and I know, and you should know, that everything God does, has one primary focus, and that's his own glory. Your salvation isn't even about you. Your salvation is about God. 
that there would that he show himself loving and kind and compassionate and bestow grace on someone that doesn't deserve it brings glory to himself. Now, in giving glory to himself, he saved us, which means we should do everything we do to glorify him also. Amen? I love this argument that Paul made, or Paul, that Moses makes in Exodus. God's about to destroy the people. And so Moses intercedes on their behalf in 32, 11, and 12. says this, Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people when you have brought them out of the land of Egypt with power and a mighty hand? He said, why are you, why are you going to do this thing? You brought them out of Egypt. And he says this, Why would the Egyptians speak saying with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? So he, this is what he's saying. In today's language, he said, If you do this, people are going to talk bad about you. They're going to say, why would, why, well, God must not care about his people. God, I know that's not the case. Moses understood, we should understand, that everything God does is for his glory. And everything we do should be for the purpose of his glory too. So in defending his gospel, he starts with the gospel. And isn't scared, praise God, to speak immediately and directly to those who would distort it. Amen? Let us be that church. Pastor Rick, would you shut us down in prayer?